Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's May 3rd, 2019. You're listening to the greatest poker cast there ever was. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> I'm Scott Long. <laughs> that was subtle there. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe it's not because this first item... Essentially said, we're the best damn poker cast on the best damn planet, and that's a real award given to us by a fan who made it up. So yes, that means something, right? That's, that means more than any global poker award. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, well, we must have been laying on our disappointment over not being honored by the global poker awards pretty thick. Because Andy, a fan, Rick Barnes mailed us a certificate proclaiming the Andy, a poker cast as the first and only winner of the Rick's Club poker cast of the year, Chris. Yes. Suitable for framing. <laughs> I think we should actually frame it. <laughs> uh, the letter in close explained how much he loves the show, especially Hand of the Week, where, quote, it shows how brilliant poker minds, or you two, <laughs> approach a situation in completely different ways, enabling me to never be wrong. So see, we always have that going for us, Chris. <laughs> Uh, you don't want to be wrong. Listen to both of us argue back and forth, and you'll agree with one of us. Yeah, but you know, there are the occasions where all three of us agree. The person submitting me and you, and then, you know, you could be wrong then, because if we agree, we're probably wrong. <laughs> That's a low percentage play, though. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, obviously, all of this was a good fun, uh, except that Rick included a $250 check for our Restock the Shelves Food Bank Initiative, too. Very incredible, Rick. Appreciate that very much. Yeah, incredibly generous. Uh, by the way, I'm having about 12 people over to the house for dinner tonight. Can I use that check by any chance? <laughs> Only if your shelves need restock. <laughs> I think they will after today. I'm pretty sure. Too many people are coming for dinner tonight. We need to uh, take out a loan or something. It's ridiculous. Um, but that's really fantastic. Uh, just just unbelievable. You never expect stuff like that. I mean, you know, you remember harking back to the old days when we were at the Times and people were sending us pizza and stuff, and then we yep. we really couldn't accept it, so we had to split the pizza with the whole newsroom. And but uh, this this is a donation to a very good cause, and we will gladly accept it and uh, cherish the award. Uh, I still have we still have the awards that I've gotten from the other guys from the hundred shows and and all that stuff. So I mean, we always we always appreciate it when you appreciate us. So thank you very much. Oh, absolutely. And uh, if you want to check out the certificate, it is posted on our Anna fans page on Facebook. So. That is correct, yep. And a lot of my friends liked it, too. A lot of my friends are thinking it's really cool, so. It was pretty neat. So. It is. It is really cool. It took a lot of effort, so much appreciated. Thanks, Rick. And sometime we'll get to Tennessee and play in Rick's club. <laughs> I may be up there someday, actually. I may actually be in Tennessee okay. someday soon. That'd be funny. Well, like, hey, Rick, we're coming to play in the club, and then he's going to go, oh, great. i gotta, <laughs> I got to create a club now. <laughs> Hard enough for me to create an award. Uh, all right, so more fun stuff. Uh, Poker Pro Antonio Espandiare pulled off an upset, beating comedian Kevin Hart by decision after three three-minute rounds in the boxing ring. 
the pair concocted the prop bet several months ago, and the terms of the deal have not been made public, but Esfandiari has consistently said he felt he was the underdog because of Hart's athleticism and speed. Hart promised his 73 million Instagram followers, slightly more than we have. Just a few. Um, that footage of the bout will be shared as soon as it's been edited. Now, I got a couple of things to say. First of all, he's got some incredible public relations here because he really made everyone believe that he was, uh, you know, the underdog. And even you wrote it as an upset. I don't care what the odds makers did. There's no chance Esfandiari was an underdog in this. Now, Kevin Hart may be athletic, he may be fast, but come on. I mean, really, he's just selling it because he wanted to get more out of the bet that he could get. Um, I, I think I don't really have the time to go back and check all of our shows and when we talked about this, and but I'm pretty sure we were pretty much unanimous on the fact that we thought he was not an underdog. I, mean, I thought he was going to win, so... Hmm. Did we, I don't I think, remember that, but it could be correct. I don't think Kevin Hart was going to win. I don't think I ever thought that, ever. So when I saw this on the on the file for the show, I thought, yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. So I, there's no way that I thought he was going to lose. Um, and the other thing is that I think now Hart needs to have his ego a little you know, boosted. So I think you need to challenge him. I know you love being the face of Annie Up. <laughs> who, who Wouldn't everyone love to see that face pummeled by Kevin Hart in a redemption match? And then we get 73 million people to learn about Annie Up and Scott. Come on, that'd be awesome. Well, yeah, and I would say, uh, back to your point, and segueing into the fact that I could be a favorite in this fight as well, too. <laughs> uh, after I saw the movie Night School, I'm like, all right, there, there's no way Kevin's going to win because he got his ass kicked in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, right there, you've, you've laid the groundwork. It sounds like you and your awesome cross-country training in high school are going to be enough to pull out the upset and beat Kevin Hart. So, all right, I think Scott's throwing down the gauntlet here. We're challenging Kevin Hart to a boxing match. Well, then again, too, I um, I suck at boxing odds-making. So, you know, on the, on the last inning of cruise last week, we were in uh, Cozumel at this little um, uh, locals restaurant that we go now that's fantastic. Uh, we order the whole menu, it's always $10, no matter what we get. Wow. And on the TV, it's always interesting the TV's there, because usually they'll have uh, one that's on music videos that goes back and forth between uh, Mexican and Spanish music and American hits. They always have an American movie on, or The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and then this time, the other TV, at first, was um, a documentary on Matadors, and which I have to say, I'm never impressed. I love how they they throw flowers and the, they they put the matador on the shoulders and carry him out like he's freaking Rudy, right? Like, I'm yep. uh, pretty sure the bull's unarmed. But go ahead. <laughs> hey, he's got horns. Those are arms. <laughs> um, but after that finished, then uh, women's Mexican boxing came on, Chris. Nice. And we're like, oh, we got to get some action on this. So this. The, the first woman came out, and she looked like somebody you didn't want to meet, not even in a darkened alley, in a well-lit alley. <laughs> and I'm like, I got five bucks on her right now. And then, of course, uh, Ramsey uh, took the other person sight unseen. And then they showed the records. My woman, one in six. Oh. The other woman, 30 in five. <laughs> <laughs> and completely won. And then the second bout, uh, I took what I thought was the underbog uh, to get action, and uh, it ended up she was scrappy, scrappy, and uh, finishing a uh, split decision, so no action. But So basically, you just described Chinese poker, but in the ring for you. 
Pretty much, it's pretty yeah. much how, so, you, yeah. how you do. So I'm you... trying to figure out whether Kevin Hart or Antonio or me, uh, forget it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm no Danny Sheridan when it comes to this. <laughs> well, anyway, happy for Antonio, sad for Kevin. Yeah, well, I, I think Kevin's going to be fine. So Yeah, I think he's all right. <laughs> all right, the 50th World Series of Poker kicks off May 28th, and WSOP announced a few new items uh, for players and fans uh, this week not this year oh well i guess it's new for this year but okay okay confuse myself in my own writing yeah yeah happens all the time um a display of one million dollars in cash will greet players as the enter the event harking back to the event's inception at what was then known as binion's horseshoe i had my photo taken with that money by the way that's right i remember that so have i yeah yeah it's fun big old like thick plastic plexiglass bulletproof glass mound around it but uh yeah i had my picture taken around it was awesome yeah, and I always think of uh, the uh, uh, my cousin Vinny. I, I figure, you know, I wonder if it's really a million dollars in there, or if they just put a couple hundred dollar bills on the outside, and the inside was all monopoly money. Yeah, I don't know. It looked pretty real, <laughs> even if it was. Even if it was just hundred dollar bills that were facing out. I mean, there's still quite a few hundred dollar bills just sitting in there. You know, if sure. it wasn't really a million, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty sure. funny. <laughs> Uh, five main event seats will be given away in a raffle. Players can enter free daily by swiping their players' club cards, and they get additional entries for entering tournaments. $500 an hour will be awarded in select live games and hot seat promotion. Uh, players this year can use credit cards for a fee for tournament buy-ins, uh, and they can also have money wired to the Rio. And the Amazon room will have 100 automatic shufflers available for its daily 3 p.m. events. And a new Gorilla Gaming mid-stakes live-action room will have shufflers and high-end tables with chargers. There will be weekly PLO and seniors deep-stack tournaments, as well as a women's warm-up event the night before the women's championship, and a Gavin Smith Trust benefit tournament on the first night of the WSOP. And uh, the circuit schedule has been announced. It will start July 17th in Choctaw Durant and run through the Global Casino Championship at Harris Cherokee in August of 2020. New stops this year include Ameristar, St. Louis, Horseshoe, Baltimore, Harris, Las Vegas, Seminole, Hard Rock, Tampa, and Horseshoe, Bossier City. Uh, okay, you kind of murdered that last one there, but I'm going to move back to something else. Um, well, Bossier City is correct. I get, I, <laughs> the Horseshoe. You, the didn't horseshoe say, you, said, you said like Horseshoe or something. Uh, I don't know what you said. Yeah. Um, so back to like the fourth item where it says uh, players can use credit cards for a fee to buy in. I found that interesting. Uh, you know, like here in Florida, like you can't use a credit card to buy like lottery tickets. Right. And I just thought it was interesting that you can use a credit card now to gamble. Essentially, it's still gambling, whether we you know want to say it's skill or not. But I mean, sure. you know, I, that's interesting. That's interesting to me that you can. Use, I mean, wiring the money is one thing because then you've got sort of like you could wire money to the Rio for hotel rooms and dinners and stuff. So it doesn't matter what you use it for. But to use it as a tournament buy-in, that's that's very interesting. I wonder if there's any kind of was that just like a their own kind of rule, or is that like a legislature oh. thing that got passed so you can allow that? Or one that's interesting to me. Yeah, so I know this is something that they've been talking about for several years because players have been asking for it, but I think there have been those kind of issues. I don't know if they're regulatory or whether they are corporate. Um, so uh, however they need to resolve it, they apparently resolved it this year. Um, so what I think is interesting about this and whether it spreads to other places is um, – you know, one, I'm not a nanny gate kind of guy. I like to let people make their own decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a danger to allowing credit cards for gambling, you know, whether it's online, whether it's for lottery tickets, whether it's for poker. Because um, it, it just it adds so much more 
available credit. I'm not going to say money because it's not. It's credit, right? Right, right. It allows you to get in. Now, in terms of games, that's going to get more people in and more play and more money that you can make at the table if you're responsible with your money. But uh, you know what's going to happen, right? There's going to be people that max out credit cards um, with this. And then uh, those are the people that end up on the front page of newspapers or on 60 Minutes and making us all look like degenerates, right? Yep. Or, so, I mean, at the very least, they'd claim bankruptcy and just continue to send our economy into the crapper. Yeah. Uh, so there is that. Um, uh, and related to that, that is one of the reasons I think uh, credit card companies have been a little hesitant to, to allow uh, their cards to be used for gambling uh, because of the chargeback situation and that kind of stuff as well, too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that might be why there's a fee here is, you know, uh, the fee is higher. Um Bees is charging the Caesars more, or it could be right, could be wrong. I don't know, but uh, but the other, um, the flip side of it is, is we are moving into this cashless society now, right? Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure poker rooms are going to be the last bastion of cash, um, just kind of like you know, poker magazines are going to be the last bastion of magazines just because <laughs> of the way poker is, right? Right. Um, but we're we're getting to that point now. I mean, I I am really like the the black sheep in my friend group because I'm the only one that ever carries cash anywhere. My wife never carries it and my friends never carry it. And I always like bust on them when like we're in line for the dollar beers and it's, you know, so much easier to give the <laughs> bartender a dollar and then get my beer and get out of line and they're fumbling around for a credit card and swiping it, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but we are getting to that point. I mean, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays here, the whole stadium's cashless now. Yeah. If you don't have a credit card, you're not getting a beer, you're not getting anything there. So uh, so the world is going in one direction that that's kind of counterintuitive for the poker world. So um, I think this is probably a balance of that is saying, you know, hey, the whole world's going that way. We're going to have to figure out how it works for, for poker. Um, but I, I would admit I'm a little... Uh, um, uh, a little bit worried about where this could go. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that's it's it obviously was in place for a reason at one point, and I realize that cashless society is coming, and there probably will be something else to take that place of. All right, we gotta have cash to enter a tournament, but they'll be like, well, you can go out in a vending machine and buy a lanyard or a lammer or whatever they call it, you yeah. know, or something like that, where then you can take that coin and bring it in and buy in or. You know, there's going to be some sort of workaround eventually when cashless society, you know, takes hold. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, well, you know, I think the other thing too you got to realize um, is there's nothing stopping you from doing a cash advance on your credit card from the ATM and the casino and then going to buy in, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm quite certain there's a lot of players that have been playing on credit before. I mean, obviously, when you do the cash advance, uh, the, the fee is really outrageous. There, I would assume the fee that's easier is charging is much, much more friendly but um it, it was always possible to do it so it may not it just it's just more convenient and easier now so okay. but that being said you know how poker players how cheap poker players are right so they don't pay the fee <laughs> there's a fee on there right yeah, right no fee to create a tournament account uh, at the rio and have it wired in from your bank uh which depending on what your bank uh who your bank is they may may or may not be a charge for for wiring but um if there's not then why would you not just do that instead Unless <laughs> you need to use the credit, to. and that, that extends beyond poker as well. I mean, like last weekend, I was working the Green Thumb Festival in St. Pete, and I was hungry and I wanted to go down to the the carts, you know, the food trucks or whatever. And like none of them were taking credit cards. And the guy's like, "Well, there's an ATM down there," and I'm like, "I'm already spending eight bucks on a bratwurst, so I'm not going to go spend 
two fifty more and make it be a ten dollar bratwurst for to screw it, you know. So I ended up like well, that's really cash. interesting because I, uh, all the food trucks that I've seen now, uh, it's almost the opposite. They they don't want the cash. They I know. Have- they have the square now, which is so easy to take credit cards. That's what so. I said to Gene. I'm like, where? Why don't they have the, the square? What's the deal? And then they're like, then the What's guy the was deal? like, What's the deal? How did it get up there? So, uh, <laughs> what he said was like, you know, hey, it is what it is. And I'm like, it is what it is. You know, it was just the way they acted. Like they didn't even care so nonchalant about like getting a tip and getting my business. You know, it was like crazy. But same thing. I didn't want to pay the fee, and I wouldn't want to pay the fee, especially if I was buying into like a ten thousand dollar event. And I gotta go pay a fee on that, you know. Of course, your fee is probably flat, but you never know. It might be a percentage. You never know. Yeah, you know, absolutely. All uh, right. Let's, well, let's... I think the other interesting thing we should talk about too is that they're taking cash game promotions into the World Series now, right? This five hundred dollar an hour. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Let's talk about this five hundred dollar an hour thing. That's what I was gonna say. That's, yeah, it's awesome. They they never did that before. So I, I think it's really they're showing that they. Uh, they're really trying to get as much business as they can. That sounds crazy because you're always trying to do that, right? But uh, we've talked about this before that as the World Series gets bigger, so do all the other series around town get bigger. And, you know, you've got a lot of choices on where to go. And, you know, if you get busted out of a tournament there, if the cash games are more attractive, you might be more likely to stay there and play the, the 3 o'clock or the 6 o'clock, um, whatever, the, the non-bracelet events, right? Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times you and I were at series, and I just would, if you were in an event or if you were already playing the cash games in the Amazon room when, at the back then, when that's when they were, I don't know where they are now, but um, you know, I'd go to the other regular Rio poker room around, which is around yeah. the other side of the building, and I would go play there because it's so much more convenient for you and me to stay in the same place in case we wanted to get something to eat or whatever it was. But there's never a chance of winning something like that now. I mean, and it makes sense because they probably have those types of promotions anyway when the room is. You know, just a reg- you know, just a regular room, and there's no World Series in town. So you're taking probably player f- uh, f- promotional fund money from them anyway. So well, that that'll be interesting to see whether they actually do take a promotional drop. That wasn't yeah. mentioned in the in the email. I'm gonna guess they're not gonna, they're not going to, um, just because I think that opens up a whole another can of worms. But maybe they will. I mean, I, obviously, I mean, I don't think people will. Some people will will, will mind it. Some people won't. But we should do the math on the hours then. So let's say the poker room is open probably around the clock, right? I don't think they're ever going to close their poker rooms. No, yeah. So looking at 24 hours, you know, that's, you know, that's what, 10 grand? And then, so that's like, what, 12? Geez, that's a lot. <laughs> Every day for a month, two months? The press release wasn't perfectly clear on this because it did say, uh, my wording was select live games, but I think they designate certain games during each day. So it may not be 24-7. Okay. Uh, but it may be. I, I mean, that's twelve grand, basically a day. You know what I mean? That's that's a lot. That's like a half a million dollars just there alone in in cash giveaway. If they're if they're doing it around the clock, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think they would take a promotional fund, but maybe they don't. Maybe they're just donating that money to get money back in. I don't know. But some interesting stuff there. Good stuff to learn. And of course, we're happy about the Gavin Smith tr- uh, Trust benefit tournament. So, um, you know, still can't believe he's gone. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. Uh, any updates? We have a four-night Antioch Poker Cruise sailing to the Bahamas in August and an eight-night Southern Caribbean adventure over Halloween. Hey, when's Halloween? <laughs> uh, when I was in school, we had a friend. It's we the day were, after Hollow's Eve. <laughs> we were driving somewhere, and he's like, hey, when's the Thanksgiving Day football game this year? <laughs> I'm like, Thanksgiving? 
but uh, he actually meant what time. But just the way he said it, it was just funny. And uh, it used to be the joke on the cruise ship was what time is the midnight buffet. But <laughs> now the joke is they don't do they a don't midnight. do it anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training, a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com, and a custom card cover from the Poker Depot. All details at antiupmagazine.com slash cruise. Uh, and join the Antiup uh, Fans Group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands. Ask all the four questions or just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Antiup Fans. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcastandantiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from Michael Cantor. He says, We had our annual trip to Vegas with seven friends last week, and I was up about 100 bucks at this point when my buddy, the best player of the group, had me covered, and I had just come from the 2-5 game. He was two to my right in early position and raised to 10 bucks, and I called the pocket queens. The flop was three five seven rainbow. He bet 55 bucks, and I called. And he re-raised all in. I'm assuming this was in the dark. I don't know if something or, oh, yeah. but I'm thinking it's in the dark. I read this earlier. So he said, I couldn't tell if he was raising to mess with me or because he had a hand. I thought for a while and called. He turned over his set of fives and took my money. If it had been anyone else, I would have folded. But I figured there was enough of a chance of him trying to pull something on me that I called. Of note, we had played in a tag team event two days earlier and had a great time. After the hand, he told me he had gone all in because he wanted to tell me he had a hand. I lost another buy-in, and then we went to dinner, where he picked up $100 of my bill because of that hand. When you play against your friends, is it sometimes a problem to know people too well? Uh, I think if I had really thought it through, I would have easily folded on the idea that he's not going to risk 80% of his stack on a bluff against me. And if it were a stranger, as I said above, it was an even easier fold. Uh, I, I think this is absolutely correct, is it? I I do. I I first I'm wondering how you uh, spend a hundred dollars on dinner, um, but yeah, they go to places where I don't go. So <laughs> uh, I'm like, but the other day somebody on Facebook was they're out in Vegas and they're having a huge steak dinner at some restaurant, and I'm like, how are you not at Ellis Island having the steak special? You know, <laughs> I mean seriously, um, but it is it is it is tough. Uh, when you're playing with friends at the table. Because um, in a way, too, if your friend knows that you know that when he goes all in like that, especially blind, he always has it, then it's almost collusion there. Right. Because he told you later he wanted to tell you that he had a really big hand by do- by doing that. And, I-, I mean, I think I've actually probably said stuff like that to you at the table before. Where I'm like, Scott, I'm trying. I'm, I'm betting. I'm betting. I'm trying. I'm not bluffing you, you know, or whatever. But, um, it, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to play your friends because in our home game, we want to felt everybody. I mean, we want to take them down to the felt uh, because it's it's fun and it's it keeps you sharp sharp at the table, well, you know. But the difference there between here is that when you're in your home game, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose. It's kind of like Lord of the Flies, right? Yeah. When you when it's just you and like say just you and me at a table in Vegas, then you obviously would prefer to felt the other right, right seven eight people right. at the table before you felt your friend, right? But, right. And we yeah. do we do kind of yeah. I mean, I don't know if we, I avoid we, you we at the table when you played, but yeah. I mean, some some friends like to play soft against each other, and some friends don't like to play. I, that that's fine either way, but. Um, 
Uh, but there is a little bit of a difference there. But so I mean, I, I can see even though it is collusiony, uh, two friends not trying to felt each other, but trying to felt the other players at the table. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I, I think what uh, his question was was less collusiony and more playing against your friends. And I think. This is what's what's an interesting paradox about poker, I think, right? Because we keep preaching to people is poker's a game of information. So the more information you have, the better decisions you make, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think this is a scenario where you do let yourself get tricked into bad plays because you feel like you have more information than you really do, right? Because um, if you play with somebody all day long, every day, and you feel like you have all those tendencies... One, if he's really trying to felt you, he's gonna play. He's gonna know you know him, right? Yeah. And he's gonna play against type to that. That's the only way he's gonna be able to win, right? Um, but the other thing too, I think what, what happened here with Michael is he just he overthought it. He thought he had this information on his friend, and it turned out that he was mistaken in it. And had it not been a friend, he would have made a different decision because he wouldn't have felt like he had that information. So. Very, very interesting paradox, I think. Should we treat it like a hand of the week and see if he would have got his friend to fold preflop if he made a bigger raise after re-raise after he only made a 10 to go? He has pocket queens here. I mean, just calls with him. I wonder, I'm not, I'm not saying that if he makes it 60 to go, his friend's not going to call because he's going to love to flop a set on you and take all your stack and then pay your bill later for dinner. But yeah. um, I just wondered if there was a reason that he just called with pocket queens, not to get too into the the hand of the week yeah, kind of yeah. thing. But. Oh, yeah, that would have probably solved some problems as well, too. Maybe. I mean, I, he maybe doesn't fold. If he just makes it a normal 30 or 40, his friend probably calls since he's a 2-5 player and had more money than you did. So he maybe just calls anyway. Um, but then, yeah, the raise all in pre uh, before the turn, you know, blind or whatever, which I think what happened here, that's kind of scary, well, too. It, it, here's the other thing, too. It, now we're far from the shallow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, the collusion talked now, but... You know, let, let's say uh, our hero here did raise to fifty, sixty, like you mentioned, right? If, if his friend really didn't want to take his money, that's an easy fold with fives. Right. There you go. Against another player, you're right. A two-five, a guy coming from the two-five game is probably going to take that chance. But you know, if he's not trying to take your money, then he's going to fold there. Yeah, but, that's a good point. Go back to your friend and ask him if he would have folded. Then you'll find <laughs> out if he really didn't want to take your money or not. Had that happened, we wouldn't have had anything to talk about on the show. <laughs> so, sorry, but you got your bill picked up for dinner. So, what a bill that was! You must have had a couple of bottles of wine or something. I don't know. That's Las Vegas, maybe not. Yeah, maybe it's true. Burger, you know, let's go to Ellis Island. Eight bucks. <laughs> oh, I wish it was eight bucks. Now it's like eleven. Yeah, or 12. even then, it's still worth it, though. All right, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at magazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Cody Stillwell. In a home game, the flop is put out, and the first person to act bets 3 bucks. One player folds before the dealer looks down and moves one of the flop cards and finds an extra card under one of the flopped cards. I noted at the time that action has taken place, so the flop stays. That was from memory, from what I had read and written up in a summary sheet from Robert's Rules. The host and others disagreed with me, even though I'm pretty sure I'm the only one there who has read the rules, and then rearranged the four cards so that correct 
so that correct flop and next burn card was shown as exposed. In other words, the flop had now changed. It wasn't my game, and I wasn't sure, so I didn't put up a fight. Everyone folded, and the hand was over. In looking through Robert's rules later, it says that if an action has been taken on any card, the card stands. But it also says that more than three cards are exposed, no exceptions, then the burn card stays, the exposed cards are reshuffled in the deck, and then a new flop is dealt. These conflict each other a bit, but I think action takes precedence over anything. What is the proper ruling? All right, Elliot says, uh, from Robert's Rules of Poker, missed deals, uh, one, once action begins, a missed deal cannot be called. The deal will be uh, the deal will be played, and no money will be returned to any player whose hand is fouled. In button games, action is considered to occur when two players after the blinds have acted on their hands. Your memory did not fail you. Uh, your powers of persuasion, not so much. The rules in place precisely to prevent what happened in your situation. The cards changed after the bets were in the pot. What is the logic in betting on a flop that isn't going to exist? If the flop is going to be taken away, then the bets must be returned and the betting round started over. This is much more fair, but still incorrect. The correct solution, as you recall, is just as in golf, play it where it lays. And a nod to Chris, being a slave to card destiny over logic or fairness just isn't good for poker. The cards are all random and unknown, so it only matters if cards are unseen and unknown prior to their being used on the flop uh, or the rest of the board. The spare card should have been returned to the top of the stub and used as the burn card, although I'm not averse to treating it as a box card and sending it to the muck. For most players that are too dogmatic about the rules, discarding this exposed card and resuming play with the current stub is just too much to handle. Comfort and unanimity irregularity are not to be lightly dismissed, especially at home games. Uh, as for three or more exposed cards, I reread Robert's rules to search for a specific rule you cited. I couldn't find it. Is it possible that you happen upon a remedy uh, for a premature flop? But that's not the case here. Robert's rules makes it clear, though, that significant action is to be adhered to and generally overrides most other rules. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's pretty. It seems pretty clear. And he even Cody said that he even did like a, a summary sheet from the rules. So not only did he read it, but then he was responsible for you know, recapping it for everyone, and that's what he said. It's interesting that they didn't see the logic, you know, you know, uh, mishap here. I mean, yeah, I how could you possibly make me keep my bet out there when I flopped a pair of kings and now there's no more king in the flop? It's ridiculous. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, rules that don't necessarily make sense to players unless you really dig down into somebody's mind about why it's there, right? And then you're like, okay, I get it. But I, I put money in <laughs> on a flop, and now you're changing the flop? How does how that sound right to anyone? Right? I mean, I understand it's a weird situation, and everybody probably got different opinions, but that alone I should, I mean, I, I think almost all normal people will be like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, and, and Elliot's right. I mean, there's a couple couple ways you could have handled this in home game. One would have been to take all your bets back and then restart. But if you're changing the flop and leaving my money in the pot that I bet, and other people didn't get a chance to bet at it, right? And now you're changing the flop. <laughs> that has to be the most unfair thing I've ever heard about. <laughs> and I, I just don't know how anybody could sit there and go, all right, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, a, that's the way we should do it. So. This sounds like a, another Omahogi kind of thing, where another <laughs> sure. game where, okay, everybody makes their bets, and then we take the flop away that you thought you were playing on, and we put it back you know, with a new flop, and then you got to still continue to keep betting and playing. That's hilarious. I mean, it's almost like Survivor now, like, oh, this is a hidden humanity idol, but we just changed the rules, and you can't use it on this one. <laughs> like, ah! Oh, like. 
So Unbelievable. yeah, that's yeah, Cody, I'm with you on this one. Uh, and not picking on your on your friends there. I'm like, oh, but I, I would be curious the the uh, the defense of trapping money in a pot and changing the flop. So, I mean, may, maybe you just maybe the people just didn't even think about that. I mean, I'm sure the person that bet already did, but um, that, that just yeah, it, it, there there had to be a better way of solving it than that. But all right, well, you know what, we got a new old Mally's move, so here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing short deck 6 plus Hold'em in our regular home game. To run this down for those that aren't aware, the 2s through 5s are removed from the deck, Ace, 6, 7, 8, 9 counts as a straight, and a flush beats a full house. Some games play where a 3 of a kind beats a straight, we play that a straight beats 3 of a kind. The game is 6-handed, and the stakes are 25 cent, 50 cent. The blinds post, and we are under the gun with close to our starting stack of 100. We have the 9 of spades, 9 of clubs. We're pretty new to 6 plus hold'em, and since it's early in the night, we want to limp and see what happens. We get a limper from an MP, the small blind calls, and the big blind checks. The pot is $2, and the flop is the king of clubs, 9 of hearts, 7 of clubs. The small blind checks, but the big blind makes it 150 to go. He can be pretty loose and can make some crazy plays, but also knows when to fold if pressed. We call here. If he misses the flop completely, he usually checks the turn and we can take it away there. If he leads out on the turn as well, we can reassess. He started the hand with 75. The other players fold, and with $7 in the pot, the turn is the ace of diamonds. This isn't a card I'm overly concerned about but my interest gets piqued when the big blind makes a $5 bet. I was planning on raising this street here, but I'm really confused about what this guy is doing. Is this a flush draw? Did he turn a straight? We elect to call and see what his action is on the river. There's $17 in the pot, and the river is the six of spades. The big blind thinks for quite a while before checking. So, we've got middle set on a board where only straights and bigger sets beat us. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations podcast at AndyUpMagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Phil in, back in the house, Chris. Yeah. Uh, got a PLO hand this week. So all not right. your hated Omaha 8, but more cards on the table. So uh, It's all right. I, I like a little mix-up once in a while. Makes me a good <laughs> poker player. All right, he says uh, we're playing a uh, 1-2 PLO with a $5 bring-in at the, quote, fine wine and cheap beer casino somewhere in the Midwest. <laughs> uh, we brought our third $200 buy-in up to $1,800, and we're the table captain. Yeah, after an under-the-gun limp, um, we look down at Ace of Clubs, King of Hearts, Jack of Clubs, Ten of Spades. Love that hand. Now, so did you say it was PLO or PLO8? PLO, yeah, PLO. Eight. Oh, I love, I love I this hand, so... Um, I love this hand a lot. Um, I'm going to pot it. Yeah. Right? I mean, we got a suited ace. we got four broadways. All kinds of possibilities. Uh, just love this hand. I mean, it's nice to have ace-ace something-something, but that stuff hardly ever works out anyway, so... This is a juicy hand, I think, so let's... I mean, we got, we got nut flush draws. 
We got Broadway draws. We got straight, you know, any other kinds of straight draws. We got everything going for us here. So let's pot it, whatever that is. All right, I agree with you. Yeah, um, in fact, actually, I mean, obviously, aces are nice to have, pocket aces uh, in any game, but uh, but I think th- this kind of hand is easier to play post flop. Oh yeah, because you do tend to just like at hold if you get sucked into those those aces, even though they're they're not as powerful in Omaha. So here you've got a lot of Broadway cards. You got some flush opportunities. You got a uh, you know this flop is either going to be really good for you or it's not going to be a good at all, and then yeah, yeah. you're just it's easier. Um, all right, our hero um, raises the 20. Uh, one, two, five, bring in. That's yeah, probably a bot, right? Okay. That sounds good. Yep. Um, he says to get three callers. <clears throat> and the flop is the ace of hearts, king of spades, eight of diamonds, and it checks to us. Wow. So we got like 60, 70 bucks in the pot, and we have top two plus Broadway redraw. Wow. I mean, it's a gutter, but it's a redraw. Um, jeez. I mean, the only thing we were behind to is a set, and we have two of those cards to, you know, hurt that possibility. Um, I don't know. I think I might, I might bet like I normally would bet with a hold'em hand, you know, and bet like, I don't know, two thirds of the pot or something. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going half pot, but I could go, go a little bit more. But yeah, I like, I like where we are right now. Let's do it. All right. Let's see. Our hero bets $50 into the $80 pot. So That's about right. That's what we were thinking about. There, yep. uh, he says, a good tight player on our left calls, and it's heads up. A turn is the king of diamonds. So our board now, uh, ace of hearts, king of spades, eight of diamonds, king of diamonds. All right. So we have basically a lock on this hand other than someone else having pocket aces. Right, mm-hmm. somebody got pocket eights, and we're only losing two uh, quads on the end here. So, seriously, I mean, I don't know what the dilemma is. If somebody's going to have pocket aces, more power to. I'm losing my stack. I mean, so I'm going to keep playing it the way uh, I would probably play. Just play a normal betting for the hold'em hand and bet like I don't know half the pot. I mean. Uh, remember Phil Galfond? Oh my God, Clay Eakin guy, right? Yep. How good he was and everything. He used to. I remember when I either read an interview or I think it was on television when he was playing like uh, poker after dark or something, and they were doing an Omaha sh- uh, show. And he was like, you know what? This is the turn is where all the money is made in Omaha. This yep. is where this is where you make your your right decisions and your big money bets and stuff. So, I mean, generally, I would still probably just treat it normally because I got a lock in this hand. I don't want to lose anybody, but it would look fishy, fishy if I didn't bet it now. You know, you're betting that flop, and then a card from that flop comes out again. It has to help you. It can't hurt you unless you have a set of eights. And even then, you still make a boat. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would think – I don't know how much money is in the pot now. but uh, I, would, I think it would be one, 180, so. 180. So, I mean, I would probably bet, I don't know, 90, 100 maybe around, maybe a nice little stack of reds. Yeah, I'd say 90 half pot. I mean, maybe 100 if you – are you know like messing up your stacks with <laughs> uh, but yeah 90 i think is, is good here yeah i mean the only hand we're only losing the one hand so it's pocket aces so it's the case aces and someone else's hand you know that's i mean it's possible it's plo um i just don't know if i'm good enough to get away from this if somebody now shoves on me or something 
All right, our hero says uh, we've been avoiding this player when possible. Well, we've got the second nuts, uh, and we've got to protect our hand, don't we? Uh, we bet 130, well, a little bit more than that, but and our opponent calls after about five seconds. Wow. Well, I kind of like this, actually. I mean, if he's willing to – it's an overbet, and he calls. I'm like, again, there's only one hand that he could have is better, and I'm not too worried about redraws here, right? So, in fact, actually, we hope. Uh, a diamond comes or something like that. Yeah. And he, uh, uh, although if he's a good player, he's probably going to realize that's not, um, not exciting. So, I mean, the call is scary in the sense that what hand calls here? You know what I mean? Unless it's King 8, you know, King which, 8. King yeah. 8. That's the only hand that calls here that's not beating us, this seems like. I mean, I guess pocket 8's might think that they're ahead somehow here. I don't know, but well, I mean, it could also be not that they think they're ahead, but they they've got a boat and don't want to poke the bear, right? So, right. you know, I've seen players play this way with that pocket eights here, where they're like, "All right, I got a boat. I'm just going to call down." I do that a lot actually, and then tend to win most of those hands, and then regret not <laughs> getting more out of it, but just not wanting to poke the bear and being wrong. So, it's possible um, that that we are. We got somebody with a uh, hand that is crushed now um, coming along, so that'd, yeah. be, that'd, that'd be fantastic. But just it's the end of the week. I don't know why Phil would send it in if it's just a routine win. So <laughs> something's not going to be good for us at the end here. I got a feeling. <laughs> All right, the uh, river brings the four of diamonds. So our final board is uh, Ace of Hearts, King of Spades, Eight of Diamonds, King of Diamonds, Four of Diamonds, and we are first act. How much do we have left? Do you know? Like, uh, I think he started the hand at 1800 he said, so we got a lot. We got more in the pot. Okay. Um, I just make a value bet, you know, third of the pot or something, and then just see what he does, you know. I would make a value bet. So, you know, that was, what, 260 on the last street plus 180, so 360, 440. So, I don't know, like 200? Yeah, I, what's interesting about making a value bet here is what it, what is the value bet here, right? I mean, normally when you say a value bet, you, you bet a little light just trying to get a call out of it, right? Um, but we're trying to maximize value here. So if the guy was on a diamond draw for some silly reason, uh, we need to get more out of him than that. Um, and if he did have the pocket eights, we need to get more out of him. So I think the minimum I'm putting in here is half the pot. So like two two twenty, I think. Yeah, I mean there there is a there's a little part of me that says, hey, you can you can absolutely control how much this guy bets by just checking here, and then if he bets, you know, an amount that's you know four hundred, even if he bets the pot, you're only going to lose four hundred if you're if you somehow guess wrong. This guy does have pocket aces, you know, instead of making it two twenty five, then the guy can literally put you all in after that. I think because it'd be. 225, he can call that, so it'd be six and eight, and he can get eight on top of it, so that's a thousand more, and you started with like, so he's almost putting you all in here, and, and yeah, you, you kind of want to go all in with this hand, but it's Omaha. If you don't have the absolute nuts, so how many times do I have to bring it up on this show that I don't like to have the second best hand in this game? Um, so maybe there's a, there's a thought here for checking. I mean, generally, I bet. Uh, because I'm in the moment, I'm thinking there's just no way. But when it's Omaha, I'm always more cautious in Omaha than I am in Hold'em. Way As more cautious. Be. As you should be. And yeah, and the more cards you have, the tighter you should be. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm ch- talking myself into a check call here, considering how much money we have 
in front of us and how much we can lose on the second best hand. I know I think I'm going to change my mind. I think I'm going to check. And if I, I know there's value bet and people are going to read me for it. But seriously, there is a chance here. This is Omaha. And this guy came along on that flop. He really wasn't drawing at anything at that flop. And then he came along again when the king came. You know, he's walking the dog, it feels like. Why Why is he just calling? There's no way he's going for diamonds because he didn't call our big bet on that flop going for diamonds. He wasn't looking for backdoor diamonds, runner-runner diamonds for a call. So he had to have something to make a call there. The question is whether or not you strongly believe it's pocket eights, king eight, or aces. I mean, it, I guess it could be ace-king, the same as us, right? Is that still possible? That is possible. So, you know, it could be the same hand as us. So you've got a couple of hands that you can tie or beat. But really, is there any... I don't know if there's really a fault in checking here um, and then seeing if this guy will value bet and then you just make a call and say, hey, I had to do it because there's split hands and then there's a hand I lose to. You know, well, I would say the, the the problem with check calling here is that you probably lose the value on those two hands that we have crushed here. That that are probably almost certainly going to call a bet from us. Now it may depend on how much. They may not call a pot size bet. They may not call my two hundred bet that I originally thought. Well, they're going to call something, right? So, um, so I think that that's that's the risk assessment we have to figure out here. What, what are the chances we're up against? Pocket aces are going to get re-raised, which, like you said, is could be tragic. The more we bet, the more he can raise, right? Right. Um, versus them having one of the other two hands that we have, the two likely hands that they that we have, that they could have that we have crushed, and picking up that extra hundred, where they may will just check be be ecstatic to check behind and hope that they have showdown value, right? So I don't know. Maybe maybe the two hundred is a little aggressive on my part here. I mean, maybe a hundred is better, but I, I think I got to put something in here. I don't know. I'm starting to worry. It probably is because it's hand of the week, but also that it's Omaha. You know, whenever I play Omaha, I'm always like, Ugh, yeah, it's a good flop, but right now it's not the nuts. And the turn is like, okay, give me a great hand, but it's not the nuts. It's the second best hand, and this guy has played it exactly like he has his beat. If you bet a hundred here uh, versus the two hundred, now, now, I mean, he can raise it what up to like six forty or something like that. Well, yeah, because there's how much in the pot was four forty, so five forty, okay. and then six forty, and then so he could, he could, yeah, he can make it a lot. I mean, that's a big chunk of, but not terribly more than the four forty that already. If we check any bets pot, so yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that I'd, I'd be willing to risk that extra couple hundred bucks that he has the one hand that has us crushed here versus trying to get an extra squeeze an extra hundred out of opponent that has a hand that may be willing to call a hundred. So if we bet a hundred and he calls that, that's six forty in the pot that he can bet on top of it. So it's gonna cost us seven forty to see what he has if he ends up doing that if we bet a hundred. If we don't it costs us four forty. Right. So we're saving three hundred by just check calling if he goes all in, you know, shoves I mean or that pot or whatever. So, I don't know. I think three hundred dollars saving three hundred bucks on the second best hand might be worth it to me. I think I'm going to check. All right. Well, our hero thinks about it and decides to check call. Yeah, it's a, I don't think that's a bad move. And the other thing that we're doing here is we're assuring that Rick uh, can't make any mistakes at all because you went one way, I went the other way. So no matter what, he's right. 
right. He says, uh, yeah, I check called uh, pot control expecting him to show up with occasional aces. Uh, the opponent bets on $100 into the 440 pot. I'm happy with calling here. All right, and uh, here it says he's begging for a call, isn't he? Uh, well, at this point, I mean, 100 is what I was going to put in anyhow, so I mean, that's what I was going to risk. So, Oh, yeah, I'm know. never folding for 100 bucks. I'm right, happy yeah. with that. No, yeah, but there's no reason to raise at this point either. Yeah, so, no. 100 and hope. Uh, we call, and he shows kings full of fours. Wow. Says he's astonished at a race king hand. He says he would have called at least 300 on the river. Uh, we missed some value worrying about monsters under the bed, but what if he pots it after a big river bet? Would we have been able to call? See, look at that. You were premonescent there. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have this hand of the week. It's not like I'm reading it or anything. I, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, but it just <laughs> felt... You were right, though. He did have the hand you said we would get value on, and I was wrong. Well, again, the, the money ended up being the same. So, you know, I mean, although, I mean, in the moment, I was going to bet 200 and, and he would have got an extra 100 out, which I guess is where I started that whole ripper bet, right, is thinking if he has one of those under underhands, then he's definitely going to call with 200. So, but, but again, I mean, this is why we talk it out. I'm like, uh, you, you, you put enough doubt in my mind that, that I, I – came down to 100 but I, I i i would not have gone the check call here i just i couldn't have done that i don't well think. here's the question for you for you we make it 20 to go in a plo game and the best card in this guy's hand is a king yeah and he doesn't even hit the eight or the ace on that flop and right. sticks around for that bet with a king four hits another king so his best kicker could well, possibly be yeah. queen we don't know his other cards though i mean it's possible that he had some other stuff working i don't know what it would have been there i mean I mean, it could have been the diamonds, but I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, right? I mean, okay, so his highest hand in his hand was a king. So he would have had to have something like king, queen, four, five or something to even consider calling a raise with that hand, double suited, maybe. Double suited, yeah. You know, yeah. and then even then, like, he's not getting the nut flush hand. Even if he hit the diamonds on the turn, you know, the, the, the draw, I mean. So it has no nut hands here. And then he sticks around, and then at the end, he thinks his king four is good when we're betting it the whole way because he's got kings full of fours. I mean, everyone plays ace king for a raise when they have it, you know, in Omaha. Oh, just about. It's just, that's, this guy really, uh, was he described as a good player? Uh, no, he was described as a player we've been avoiding. So okay, I'm we've been avoiding. He's good. Um, but if they're bad players you would avoid, too, just because yeah. their style is doesn't yeah. mess well with your style, right? So. Yeah, that's true, too, I guess. But interesting that that guy, King Four. That was never thinking King Four. I was thinking King Eight, maybe, maybe yeah, Ace King. That wasn't even on our radar, was it? King yeah. Four. <laughs> it was PLO Eight. I would consider King Four, but even then, it wouldn't matter. You know, I still wouldn't have thought of. You know, I'm still worried about the aces. Doesn't matter how many other hands I beat. I beat all kinds of hands. It's the hand that I don't beat that I'm worried about there. Um, and he played it like he was walking the dog. That's the thing. You know, because yeah. he had okay. no real draw. Phil had some more interesting things to say here. Uh, going back to had we bet and then um, he raised his pot. He says, I don't think I can make that call, at least not from this player. I think I'm making the right move here most of the time by checking. Perhaps we could bet small and induce a bluff. A small bet followed by a big raise would still be a reasonable call. It's kind of my line of thinking there after you calm me down. <laughs> uh, but, he says, but I think we get more money this way. Our check allows him to bluff more often. Also, I think uh, he would usually bet more. Forest bluffs, flushes, and smaller underfolds. Many of those hands might fold uh, if we bet all four chances. Our call prevents him from uh, with bluff three betting or worse, three betting with confidence with his king four and pushing us off our hand. 
can we really call a river three bet from this player even when we're behind only one combination i think i'm better off staying away from that decision maybe i'm wrong but not tonight yeah well i'm just happy he won you know it's very rare that the hand of the week is a winner you know and it seemed like a pretty straightforward hand when it started but then once you start talking about it and thinking about it and that's scary it kind of gets back to what we we're talking about with uh with michael when he was he thought himself right into a call against his friend because he just kept thinking about it too much and the same with this it was a pretty straightforward hand but the more you thought about it you know like i was i when that river came i already said i'm gonna bet like one 130 or something like that i said i was gonna bet about a, a third of the pot or something but then the more we talked about it, I didn't. I, I thought, that's just a mistake. Now, had I bet 300 and the guy calls, then we were like geniuses. But like the Top Gun movie where the guy hits the brakes and the woman says, yeah, I think we showed that that was a mistake, even though it worked <laughs> out for you. You know, same thing here. I, I think that... She I saw think- a real genius in the flying. <laughs> oh, man. But I'm happy for uh, Phil. Happy he's back right, on the let show. Let me ask you this, though. One, one last thing before we end here. Sure. Uh, um, I, I get where you're going there. I get where Phil was a little concerned there. Um, I, I'm wondering how many decent Omaha players would bluff at this at the end when we checked, which is what he's talking about. Like, you give them an opportunity to bluff. And, all right, I, I get that. But there's nothing really with this board in the way it developed that would make me feel confident uh, betting without a decent hand into an opponent that's been betting the whole way with this. I guess it's the story. If you believe the walking the dog story, then the bluff works. I mean, I guess the the last card was a diamond, but again, I mean, maybe it's just because I play so much Omaha. The, the the diamond does not does not excite me there because the board was paired. Yeah, from yeah, flushes so, don't scare anyone with paired boards. So I, I I I'm having trouble understanding how many people decent players she would would make that bluff. I think at this point. At the end, there. If you didn't improve, that you would be happy just to show down and hope it. Hope your hand is good. I, I don't see the desire to to, to bluff at this because unless the person there's there's no way you'd be betting this board without anything when you're with the the lead bet our hero here, right? Right. If if our hero had ace ace, there's no way he checks the river. So now the other person knows he doesn't have ace ace. There's no reason to check ace ace on the end. You have to try to get a value bet out there. So by checking the other person, if the pot were big enough, maybe a bluff would work. If it was like a $600 pot and he goes 580 or pets pot or something, then that might get us to fold our second best hand. But when it was only 440 that, that's like a fishy bet. I mean, that's the other thing that's interesting about it. But I'm like, you know, if this board was different, if the board wasn't paired and, you know, it's, it progressively got a little bit better. You know, we're on the flop, the best hand was a set, and then it became a straight and then it became a flush. Right. All right. That that's that's a bluffable hand at that point because that person could have had a set and then turned the straight and then not had the flush, right? And right. now now you're in there. But when the board is paired from the beginning, you know you're not in this hand unless you have a king. So I mean that's what I, I we, we figured out. I mean our opponent had a king, he had a naked king, and it took two more streets before he bowed it up. But you're really. I, you either have the the set of eights, the set of aces, or a king. I mean, there's there's no other reason to be in this hand after that flop. Yeah, I I think so. You know, so now if you're going to bluff, that means the person has some of that, and it's probably going to call. And you're right, your only chance you're bluffing is the to bet pot and hope that uh, that's just too much. But when you bet pot at the end, when you haven't shown any interest in this pot, um, that that screams 
bluffed me there, and I might be willing to bet uh, call that that big bet. Well, so, or let me ask you this: I'm just not scared about a bluff here. I I, I just don't think anybody's bluffing here. We I mean, we, we often used to. We don't really have Omaha hands on here that much, but we used to often talk about having the naked ace in your hand, where you can represent the flush, and you know somebody doesn't have the nut flush because you sure. have the ace. This is almost exactly the same situation where you know this guy didn't have pocket aces because if he had pocket aces, there's no way he checks the river. So then it's the same kind of situation, except it went from a paired board where a boat's possible you know, to a flush, which is worse. But in the other way, it could have gone from you know, a straight to a flush on the river, and you had the naked ace of diamonds. And so you're thinking, there's no way this guy has the nuts because I have the nut card. So I bet pot and make them fold, and you show the ace of diamonds, and you rub it in, ball, whatever. But this is the same situation, just a little. But you'd have to bet pot. Hand. Yeah, that's what I mean. You have to bet pot. But if you, and that's the weird thing about this. If you had pocket aces here, let, let's say our opponent had pocket aces and just walked the dog all the way to the end, then it, are you, you got a bet pot there? I guess maybe if you think. I mean, that's some second level, third level thinking there. Well, because you're going to think that the person Otherwise, might think you're bluffing. You're going to put your value bet in, right? Yeah. And like, okay, this guy kept betting, kept betting, kept betting. The, the last card didn't change anything. Why is he not betting now? Um, I'm going to have to, like, just try to get as much value as I think I can, which is going to be that 100 to 200 size bet. And if if you're that's the thinking, that's that's not enough to bluff you off the hand. So that, that it just seems to be a lot of holes in this in the story on the, on the bluff thing. Now, in the moment, it's you're always worried about that, and, and you're right. In Omaha, you're always worried about it if you don't have the nuts, but in the luxury at the time we had to look at this, it just it doesn't seem like a bluff was possible for many decent players. I think. And it oh. is the levels that you're talking about. If, if that player, the villain in this hand, if that player knows that we're the type of player that is savvy enough to know that we could be bluffing here, then he doesn't make the move. But if he thinks that this player is just savvy enough to realize what a walking the dog story is and that we would be betting this much to make you think we're hoping that we're bluffing, you know, that you might want to call, you know, so that you're going to make the person call himself out of making the call or or teach himself to not make the call. Because in this situation, he might say, oh, he's betting that much because he wants me to think it's a bluff. When it's not, he's got the nuts, so I'm folding the second-best hand. And, in fact, it turns out to be a bluff, and he went on a whole nother level ahead of you. That you know, So he's got to really assess what kind of player you are, whether or not you can which, – which story you can put together. Can you only, with your skill level, put together the walk-in-the-dog story, or can you put together the story that says, hey, if I, I checked here, so now I've told him that I know I don't have aces. So, you know, I mean, it, there's a lot of levels there, and in this type of game, I don't know if that – that kind of level ever gets there. I, I don't know, but I love the check call there. I do. I just love it. I, I, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that I, uh, I rethought it because I, I think that you bet, and then he, then he makes it seven something to go. Now it's enough money to get you off the hand of the bluff. The check bluff is tougher to get because it's only 400. It, the, 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 the we bet out 100, 150 or something, and then the guy could bet seven or 800. Now that bluff makes more sense. But then, but then he doesn't know you don't have aces because you bet the river. So there's a lot of levels here that uh, I'm just not good enough anymore to to keep them all straight. To be honest <laughs> with you, you know, just don't play enough. But uh, yeah, this is a very interesting hand. It started out like a pretty run run of the mill hand, but yep. we ended up talking for half an hour about it at least. So that was great. Way to go, Phil! I'm glad you won. That's what matters the most. 
<laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We will see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.